It was uh, a strange thing, really, because um, I myself had started to long for summer. This was in April, and sun had just come back to Norway after a long and hard winter. And I was, I had a feeling of, you know, that spring in me, and uh, at that time, Ted uh, decided to take his own life. <clears throat> and first of all, that was that was the first feeling. And after that, of course, losing a good friend, uh, and I was in grief uh, for a long time over that. It was a great loss to me. Uh, unfortunately, my uh, guitarist didn't feel it like that. He uh, and Dad were, well, kind of, well, they were not friends in the end. And since they were living together, got on each other's nerves and stuff. And uh, so uh, that particular weekend, Oystein was out of town and uh, he called me because he couldn't get into the house wondered if Dad was at my place, and I said no. And he said, well, he's probably hanging in his room, by meaning hanging in his room, meaning that he killed himself. So I was thinking maybe to go out there that Saturday and uh, see, if he, see, was, see if everything was okay. But I decided not to do that, and the day after, uh, he uh, uh, Euron called me and uh, said that, uh, well, he found this dead body and shit. But he had taken some photos of the dead body. So uh, I told him to uh, get rid of the photos before he could contact me again. by the good people at the Podbelly Network. My fellow Americans, we are fortunate to be alive. They need them to protect us from the number one killer in history. Protect us from the central university. A study on why Alright everybody, welcome to episode 316 of the Art and Jacob Do America podcast. I'm your host, in the place to be, Mr. Jacob P, and sitting to my digital left this week is the Brown Recluse, Mr. Art Trail. Art, say hello to the millions. What up, blood? <laughs> hey guys, go to GameManCoffee.com to check out their entire inventory. They got the coffee beans, they got the hibiscus. See, they got the cacao butter. They got anything your heart desires, really. Um, guys, use promo code America at checkout. Hold on, I'm gonna make Jake 
put the big screen on my. I hate looking at myself. Um, there. <laughs> now you have the big But, anyways, guys, uh, use promo code America at checkout to receive 15% off. It's summertime, guys. You're gonna need you're gonna need hats, and they got caveman coffee hats to keep that sun out of your fucking eyeballs. So, oh, what's Jacob doing? He's doing some he's doing some weird shit. Here we go. He's doing the lombard. <laughs> uh, but yeah, use promo code America at checkout to keep yourself, you know, hydrated this summer. You with that uh, nitro cold brew? Stop drinking those Monster Energy drinks. Start drinking that nitro cold brew. Start drinking some hibiscus tea. Um, and then again, use promo code America. Tag yourself drinking that shit. Tag us and tag them. And we appreciate it. They appreciate it. And speaking of sponsors, guys, make sure you check out our other sponsor, guys. I need everyone to head on over to sucraapparel.com where the great and powerful Nicole Simit Bosch has put together an illustrious array of merchandise for your consumption pleasure. So uh, head on over to her store, fill up your cart with everything that you love, want, or desire. Uh, perhaps maybe fill up your cart with some stuff for presents that you want to give to somebody you want, love, or desire. But regardless of the fact, I need everyone to enter promo code ART in Jacob, and Nicole will give you 10% off your entire purchase. But ART, we're not here to talk about caveman coffee and Nicole Smith Bosch's illustrious array of merchandise while I scramble off to shut the studio door where my three-year-old son is beating it down to show me his Jurassic Park collection. Art, what are we here to talk about today? Uh, we are here to talk about a band called Mayhem. Uh, one of the, I wouldn't say a godfather of the black metal scene, but definitely a one of the big pillars of the black metal scene. Mm-hmm. Um, Jacob and I, we've talked about it millions of times. We love metal. We're, we're, we've been to me- multiple metal shows. I don't know if you consider yourself a metalhead. I think you, yeah, I think you would consider yourself a metalhead. Uh, I, I guess I consider myself a metalhead. I, you know, I just, you know, I, I, I dabble, I, I dabble in a lot of genres. Metal is definitely one of my big loves. Um, yeah, but uh, let me ask you this: How do you feel about metal? Well, I'm sorry, how do you feel metal? about metal? Okay, that's a better question because that's a that's a simple yeah. question with a loaded response. We we could start our own pod, separate podcast on metal music or whatnot. Like yeah. you said, you know, I consider myself a metalhead. There's a lot of metal bands that I love and enjoy and have seen quite a few times. Bought all the merch, bought the CDs, bought the vinyls, downloaded the the fucking uh, digital copies and, you know, legally streamed it, did did all the things or two or whatever. Right. Um, Different sub genres of metal and whatnot throughout the years. I believe I started listening to metal when I was probably 1988, whenever injustice for all came out, my uncle's Camaro. So pretty much for 35 years, I've listened to metal and I got to say, I've liked everything that I've listened to. And to answer your question more directly, black metal is one genre that I just could not find myself getting into. And I think for Mm -hmm. me personally, like I've always gotten it when it came to metal, whatever, right? When you listen to Metallica, it's just, it's just straight up just heavy music or whatnot, right? And then there's bands like Ministry, and then you have uh, bands like Death um venom you know venom will play a part in this episode and whatnot 
where or slayer i should say slayer bands where they use like satanic imagery and it's all kind of tongue-in-cheek iron maiden you know they use like you know satanic imagery and it's kind of implied that you know this this is just to scare your parents like we're we're not real about this like we, we go home to our our wife and kids we watch blues clues and shit we watch the tv show dinosaurs like like we're not out here living like this satanic lifestyle 24 7 or whatever regardless of whatever politician might lead you to believe but with black metal there was always like this super seriousness the super uh elitism if you if you may where it, it it was real. It was just a little too real. And like to me, like it didn't scare me. I just it was just it was I don't want to say disgusting. Like it just it turned me off. So I always like kind of like had a brick wall to that genre because it was a little too real for me. Um so getting into this topic, like I that brick wall came down and I just felt bad for a lot of people um that created this genre, and particularly people, uh, the guys in Mayhem. What about you? Yeah, yeah. Um, so for me, uh, same. You know, I pretty much grew up listening to metal for many, many years. Different metal bands, different metal genres, and uh, I would say that black metal. Although I find it really interesting, and I definitely get the appeal of something like that abrasive and like that, like like balls. Of- the wall it doesn't really do anything because at the same time it always feels very flat to me where it's just like it kind of all sounds like the same vocalist from one band could be the vocalist for another band because there's like a blueprint to how you should sound and look and all that stuff and that's one of the things that is a big turnoff to me like i want bands to come come original b311 bro you gotta come (laughs) original with the shit and like yeah like I, I want bands to have a you know be individuals and like really like find your sound and really it's not that, that it's too heavy for me or that I don't like screaming or anything like that because I, I mentioned this to you like leading up to this episode the only like black metal band I listen to is Death Heaven and and that's really because like they do a lot of experimental shit with the, the black metal genre. And which I really appreciate. Like it's it's beautiful. It's you know they're they're making like you know six minute, eight minute long black metal songs. Some of the stuff that's not even black metal at some point. Like it turns into like it sounds like a Tool song or a Nine Inch song at one point. Like it's completely different. But then it goes back to like the black metal roots of like the you know high pitched squeal screaming type of thing. Where really dig it, mm-hmm. but. For the most part, most black metal bands are just kind of like one note, trip, one trick pony type of thing. Like, this is how you do it. This is the formula to create a, you know, the black metal sound look or whatever. Even the look of like the whole painting their face, and we'll get into that. But like the corpse makeup, like to me, it's just like, come on, dude. Like it's just it becomes a uniform. It becomes it becomes work as opposed to being play. Like it's, you should be yeah. enjoying this. It shouldn't be a uniform that you wear to work. So, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I think like at the beginnings of it, it, it was like enjoyment. Cause I think that was the most interesting thing doing my research this week. It's just like finding like the, the beginnings of this because uh, uh, one of the documentaries that I watched that was really good. It was called pure fucking mayhem. 
and the the original drummer man manheim he was talking about it was just like we didn't have basically a blueprint for this like this was just something that we organically came up with and then it became like the blueprint and whatnot and i thought that was super interesting because like oh yeah there has to be a genesis to this and it all kind of just starts with i guess we'll just jump into it um black metal all originates in norway uh you know norwegian black metal and pretty much forms like in the early 80s and it kind of comes out of the remnants of of course you're going to have bands like black sabbath they have dark you know satanic imagery and whatnot uh and then later on uh, a band named venom uh becomes very prominent and then also too like all the bands that i listed before uh a lot of like early slayer um hell awaits i think is like a perfect example if you want to know like one of the core blueprints in my opinion a black metal just listen to the album hell awaits by slayer and a lot of it sounds like that um mixed in with other things like venom who would inspire decades of bands they would be your favorite band's favorite band kind of thing and uh their aesthetic yeah. for you know satanism would be one of the big markers for black metal in particular the gentleman from mayhem uh, who actually even get their name <laughs> from a song uh, from Venom called Mayhem with Mercy. Yeah, I know, absolutely. I mean, even the name of black metal in general. Mm, yeah. Uh, uh, a Venom album. Like, you know, even though, and I think most people would agree, like, Venom really isn't black metal. Like, no. <laughs> one of the bands that I think <laughs> People always say like Venom sounds like, uh, like Motorhead. Like if you really think about it, like Motorhead has had so much like little like, like little influences, and and I get it. It does yeah. it does kind of have like that faster pace like thrash ish. I I don't know. There's really no like way of Venom is kind of its own thing because the singing is a little more high pitch. But I don't know. It, it was closer to like a punk thrash sound than it was to like a. Mm -hmm. to uh metal i would even, yeah I, would, I don't know it's it's cool it definitely had the look like venom's logo of like that fucking demon head is like iconic yeah. like that shit is like like one of my favorite fucking all-time favorite like band logos it's like it doesn't really get much better than that to put the fucking bafu met head on the on the uh as your logo like that's fucking amazing but like I said at the beginning of the or the beginning of this episode is that th it was all tongue in cheek. I remember I when I bought that album, I was so afraid to listen to it because I grew up in like a super hardcore Christian house. I hid that album to this day. I don't even know where it's at anymore. Um, but like I, I was super afraid to listen to it. I was super afraid of anybody in my household to know that I had it kind of thing. And then, like, when you do research on the band, it was just like, oh, like, oh, we're just doing this to shock people, to get that emotion. They were trying to more for the theatrics of it, to get that reaction from you. But they went home and they, they paid their taxes on time. Yeah. They fucking they did all the they were totally different individuals who they were on stage was not who they were when they went home. But the men and May, the kids, I should say, in Mayhem. They didn't get that joke. They believed that that metal was a religion, and you lived it twenty four seven. Absolutely. I mean, they're young, impressionable youths, and like, mm -hmm. you know, it 
it only takes kids like that to be like, you know, they're already dealing with like some kind of mental illness, and we'll get into some of the mental illness elements of it of it down the line. But I think when you're that young and you see like an adult doing some, it's kind of badass. I I still think that you know, Venom's logo is like amazing, mm-hmm. and like I could see how like. If if I think it's badass now in 2023, fucking in like 82 or whatever, like that shit must yeah. have been like incredible. Super like, I, yeah, I was like, I can't even imagine that shit. Like, w- imagine wearing a Benham shirt to school in like in yeah. like Norwegian North, like whatever, where it's like here, like you don't even have fucking crime there, dude. Like, like, like everybody <laughs> is like you have Christian socialized and medicine and shit. Yeah, it's like, dude, you can't even die if you wanted to, like, from a cold. Like, over here, <laughs> like, people in Detroit, <laughs> people in Detroit are fucking dying hey. from drinking water and shit. <laughs> yeah. So, and, like, yeah, yeah. People in Norway are like, you. you... <laughs> yeah, they're all happy. And, like, their chocolate's delicious. Like, everything. Yeah, it's all good. But for, for people, for kids like that who were not. Uh, that wasn't their vibe kind of thing and i and i empathize with that right like you can't all you can't all fit in the cookie cutter image of like nice progressive happy you know scandinavian children or whatnot right that's gonna rub some people the wrong way like you have to have some sort of individualism and that's what all three members uh that started uh mayhem that's the kind of the vibe that they felt again watch the documentary pure fucking mayhem and they kind of allude to that but uh mayhem was started in 1984 by uh, Oystein Arsef, and I'm going to butcher the fuck out of these names, uh, who originally hey, went by I just want to put a quick pin in it. Sorry. Uh, you no, go are going to do a way better job with those, like, fucking weird-ass names, because as soon as it starts <laughs> seeing names with the, o, like a, with the line through it, and, like, fucking Z with the two little dots, I'm out. Dude, I have no idea. What sound the fuck is that? The little O with the, with the line through it, make. I have no clue, dude. Oh, Baxter, you know I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, but uh, Oystein Arseth, uh, who originally went by the name Destructor, who would later go on to his name that would carry him out through the rest of his life, uh, Euronymous, who uh, was a demon in Greek mythology uh, that literally meant the demon of rotting corpses. Uh, now, his bassist was a kid, and I'm not even going to attempt to say his name because there's too many crossed out O's and, you know, dots over the, you know, the, the umlets or whatever they're called. Uh, but he went by the name of Necro Butcher, as well as their original drummer by the way, badass uh, who went by name. the name Mannheim. Yeah, Necro Butcher, yeah. Uh, Necro the original Butcher, drummer dude, went by Mannheim. If I ever have yeah. a kid, <laughs> m- middle name is going to be Necro Butcher. So Necro Butcher Trail. <laughs> <laughs> Not you going into PetSmart's fucking veterinarian uh, hospital. Uh, uh Necro He's Butcher, for please, his for his rabies shots. He's here for parvo shots, <laughs> Necro Butcher. <laughs> <laughs> fucking dope ass name. <laughs> it is Scandinavian. You wouldn't understand, baby. Uh, <laughs> uh but anyways, uh, you know, they Necro and throughout the documentary, Necro Butcher. Uh, he's kind of the guy like carrying, you know, the story of uh, mayhem. 
Uh, but he was kind of just saying, it was just like, we, we our, our life's mission was to find like-minded individuals, people that we thought, thought were interesting, people that were interested in the dark and the macabre and, you know, listen to bands like Motorhead, like Venom, like the first Metallica album, like, you know, you know, early Black Sabbath and whatnot. And uh, they all said that they were learning their instruments as they went along, which you can totally hear. Uh, when you try to listen like to their early work, because it's kind of it's kind of rough to listen to, uh, but they related themselves more as a punk band as opposed to a metal band, because metal in the 80s by 84, like ride the lightnings out like they, these are like orchestrated compositions and whatnot. Right. But mayhem, it literally sounds like something that like was like, you know, hammered out like in Jerry's Pizza's basement and whatnot. Right. Very much, you know, in the vein of punk rock. Uh, and it you can hear it because again, like Necro Butcher said, they were figuring out their instruments as they went along. But whatever they were doing, it was pretty fucking good because their first demo that they put together, pure fucking mayhem, uh, you know, kept you know, kept exploding all over the scene and whatnot. And from 85 to 87, uh, they went through a few uh lead singers, uh, the first being Messiah, then later on this guy named Maniac. And they put together uh, an EP called Death Crush um, on Euronymous's own label, uh, which is called Polar Court Music at the time, which would later devolve into something else that we'll get into on episode two. Uh, but they had enough money from their parents. Mind you, these are 15, 16, and 17-year-old kids doing this. Uh, but they had enough money from their parents to press a 1,000 copies. And within a, mat a matter of a week, they were able to sell all 1,000 copies. So they pretty much... To, to to in a nutshell, were kids that were fans of metal, thought it was a religion, came up with their own kind of style where they were going to mix everything that they loved from Venom, Motorhead, and Black Sabbath, picked up instruments, learned them, quote unquote, and then put together an EP which sold a thousand copies instantly in 1984, which is almost unheard of before the internet, before fucking you know touch tone phones. Like they were able to do this in Norway. Yeah, I think one of the other things that's really important when making a band is having a good band name. And Mayhem is a good band name. I just want to point out, like, I always think of like, 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 does it look good on a shirt? Does it sound like a good band name? Mayhem is a good band name. And, you know, and all the logo and a good logo. Not not Venom good, but good. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think you know once you become that popular, we'll we'll get into it. But I think it's er, it's it's hard not to listen to that early stuff and think like this could be better. <laughs> like I don't know if you took time out this week to listen to their music, but it's pretty yeah. rough, dude. Like. It's it's rough even by those standards. Like, all right, dude. Like, Jimi Hendrix was already doing shit that was pretty loud. MC Five was doing stuff that was pretty loud. Like, even other metal bands, like you said, Metallica was already doing stuff that was pretty fucking loud. And like, this was really rough. And maybe because of the the way that the music was pressed, uh, made it sound even rougher than it needed to be. But um, mm. I, I did see something like I guess the guy who like recorded that album had no idea what the hell he was doing like he was just like i guess we're just recording every instrument at equal like levels so, so it'll just hit you like a wall of sound <laughs> um yeah which is 
kind of cool, cool concept, but it, it does sound pretty muddy. And it becomes a little bit of the in what black metal sounds like. Like black metal was kind of already setting its thing as like being that really poorly recorded sounds like it's in a basement with like gargoyles and witches and shit like that. Like it, that was already kind of by mistake, but kind of became its little thing right there. Yeah. And it, and it spoke to uh, people of the same ilk kind of thing where it's just like, yeah, you're getting records. This is also too, like we're like hair metal starting to become like the dominant force uh, in music, not never mind just in metal, but in music in general, like you couldn't turn on MTV or any kind of music channel without seeing like hair metal. So this is the complete opposite. Like you're marrying yourself to like the complete dark side and in black metal, what's different from like any other genre. And I mean, there's thrash there's at this time, uh, there's thrash metal, there's death metal. There's all these other different forms of metal that we won't get into and whatnot. But like I said, at the beginning, what separates black metal from all those other genres is this, this, this genre was the gospel. Like we, though all those other genres are fake. They're pretending to be Satanists. We legitimately are, you know, pledging our allegiance to the dark Lord. These guys, they go home and they pay their taxes and they do the good American or British thing, you know, when, you know, when they go home and whatnot, they take off the makeup, they take, they take up, they take off the makeup, they put away the costume and they become other people, whatnot. But this is us 24 seven and everything that we do is for the greater good of evil. So it, it becomes like this escalating movement of how evil can you be and how genuine can you make the music? And it becomes kind of, and you, you see this like on the internet where like, it's like this elitist gatekeeper culture where it's just like, this is metal. This is not metal. You're a poser. This guy's true. And it's like this never ending, like circle jerk of that. And this was that at that time. Yeah. And like, that's what separated black metal from everything else that was going on. Motley Crue, that's poser shit. Metallica, my favorite band, but in the black metal community, that's poser shit. Slayer, oh, they're the ultimate posers because their lead singer is actually a devout Catholic. Like, he's not really hailing Satan. Yeah. We're the real deal because this is black metal. You know, you know what? It's funny you say that because. Molly Crew is the first band that kind of came to mind when when you were saying that, and like I I've always fucking hated Molly Crew. Like I, I think they suck, and like I do think that if I was a young teenager, you know, where you, you, what do you have to worry about in Norway? You know, like fucking your food's gonna be there when you get home. Like you have fucking free healthcare or whatever. Um, I could see how like seeing Motley Crue and like like pretty boy glam rock hair metal whatever like you would be kind of like fuck all of that like I could see I, I definitely get it like I see what they're saying it is definitely very gatekeeper-ish of them to be like you know and, and at one point you know when we were younger we were like oh fuck this shit like when emo music came out to tie back into the emo music like we grew up in the generation prior to that where it was maybe like more new whatever and like then emo comes out mm -hmm. and it's like fuck this shit you have all these dudes wearing eyeliner and like you know fucking karen haircuts and stuff like that like i could see how <laughs> they're just like bring it back to the fucking like get dark again Maybe yeah like ozzy like the way like even ozzy has like crazy train when he's like we gotta learn how to love and forget how to hate yeah. and it's like come on dude <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, exactly. Uh, but again, like I said, it was an it was an escalating movement kind of thing, almost cult like in a way. And towards the end of it, yeah, it was a cult. Uh, but everything kind of changed in 1988 uh, when Mayhem kind of shook things up. They got a new drummer called Jan Axel Blumberg, uh, aka Hellhammer, which I think is an amazing name for a drummer. Uh, but that what really changed them was a new permanent lead singer. Uh, those other lead singers that I talked about earlier, they were just kind of studio musicians. Even Euronymous would play around with uh, becoming uh, the singer or whatnot. But uh, if you're just learning guitar, it's hard as fuck to play guitar and sing at the same time, even if you're playing black metal kind of thing. So they needed a permanent lead singer is what I'm trying to say. Enter in Pele Ingve Olin, Olin uh, a.k.a. Dead. Uh, his story of how he got into the band was pretty brutal. Uh, he's actually from Sweden and the, uh, uh, Necro Butcher, he was saying in the documentary that, um, he was in a band called Morbid in Sweden and he, he grew dissatisfied with the direction that they were growing in. And so he heard mayhem and was like, that's the shit. That's who I need to sing for. And he had heard through the grapevine, you know, through the Scandinavian grapevine, if you will, uh, that Mayhem was in search of a new lead singer. So what he does is he sends a package uh, to the Mayhem complex or HQ or whatever of a crucified mouse attached to his demo tape asking if he could be the new lead singer of their band, which is one, disgusting, and two, fucking badass, (laughs) if you ask me. And Necrobutcher, he described, you know, getting the package. Yeah, getting the package, throwing the dead rat in the back of his truck, putting in the demo tape and thinking like, oh, this is the guy. Like, this is the guy we got to get for this fucking black metal shit that we're doing. They were pretty blown away because his his uh, his band. uh, uh, Morbid. Morbid. Yeah, yeah, Morbid. uh, They were. pretty like it's only a four track ep that they put out and the album cover looks like fucking god awful garbage dude it looks like a goose goosebumps like book cover or something but like it uh it blew up locally he was like the hot lead singer dude yeah it looked like rl stein put that shit together dude it it, it's pretty comical it's like safe for the kids kind of thing they're even like their little logo is like a bat and it's like that they put the word morbid inside the bat. But I, I will yeah. say that the crucified mouse is like, I don't want to say badass because animal cruelty is always, is never cool. But I'm going to assume that's pretty bad of natural causes. <laughs> and um, a crucified <laughs> mouse in there is pretty much fucking badass. Dude. Like totally, totally mm-hmm. a badass, like metal all time movie. All about that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, uh, with the new lead singer dead uh, comes a lot of changes. Enter in corpse paint. And uh, he had mentioned that earlier. And it's hard for me to say that like this is the, the genesis of where corpse paint came from. And you read you know, a bunch of different, you know, biographies on mayhem. And it always says that dead was the one that um, brought corpse paint to the heavy metal genre or the black metal genre because you did have kiss 
uh, before this, you actually had King Diamond who had similar face paint and whatnot. Um, as well as, I mean, even, I mean, I mean the LA glam scene, like with David and even David Bowie and whatnot, like there was a lot of face paint going on. And like, you know, that was to me, like I've, I've seen it before, but I guess to the level that dead took it, where it's just like, he concentrated on looking like a corpse. Like this was like the Genesis of the black metal corpse paint where it's just like, we're not here to look like kiss. Like there's no kitty cats. There's no star children. There's not Tommy Lee trying to fuck your girlfriend kind of, you know, face paint or whatever. Right. Like, no, this is like straight up. Like I want to look dead. I am going to live the gimmick so much. So, so he wanted to uh, live the gimmick that he would bury his clothes uh, for the entire week. So that way, the ground could start the decomposition of the material on his clothes. So when he went on stage that Friday, Saturday and Sunday night, he smelled like death. He would hide dead animals under his bed before he would get up on stage and sing. Yeah. Before he would get up on and sing on stage, he had a dead Raven that he had in a Brown paper bag that he would sniff. And he was quoted as saying, saying that I wanted the scent of death on my nostrils before I went on stage and sang. Uh, he would also do a lot of crazy shit like self-mutilate himself on stage. Uh, there's one story where he cut himself so hard, so deep with a broken bottle uh, that it bled for the entirety of the set. And then when they went backstage and everybody was like, you know, hey, like, I know we're trying to hail Satan here and shit. Uh, but we need to take you to the hospital so we can stitch you up for free. Uh, and then when they got to the hospital, it was just so bad. They couldn't even stitch him up. Like they literally, they just like had to put some super glue in it and fucking, you know, call it a day and whatnot. Um, but he was really concerned on like, yeah, like I know you guys want to make this satanic, but I want to make this gross as shit because we want to make sure this is a place where posers are not welcome. Uh, they would have shows where 300 people would show up, and what they would do is is they would get pigs' heads uh, from the local butcher shop, and they would just throw it into the audience. And by the end of it, there would be maybe 25, maybe 50, if there were lucky people in the audience. And they thought that was a good thing because they said that weeded out all the posers uh, from the scene that was trying to see them. Yeah, you know, this is one of the things that... Um that really start putting them on the map. Once Dead joins that, they're really starting to pick up steam. And a lot of those things that he was doing, like the burying his clothes, sleeping with dead ravens under his bed, and then bringing those dead ravens to show so he could... He, he wanted to smell death while he slept. And, like, you know, at the time, I don't think people were really, like, that conscious of, like, mental health issues but mental health starts becoming a thing with with dead like dead is quoted as believing of that he was gonna die and come back to life as a zombie like he literally thought he was more than human and it was like you know if we had a friend who out there saying shit like that you know you know you you'd probably be a little bit worse of them you would be like you know we gotta look out for a fucking dead or what's his name Pele uh, we have to look out for yeah. Pele just to make sure he's not going to fucking hurt himself although he was literally hurting himself on stage and mm -hmm. 
I think this is where the story really starts to take shape because we are introduced to Pele being this, I don't want to say like, like polarizing figure, but a lot of people were attracted to, to the mystery and the darkness that he brought to, to, to this band. And on the flip side of that, you know, previous lead singer, um, uh, not Hellhammer, Hellhammer's the drummer, um, uh, maniac. Uh, no, not maniac. Uh, Messiah. Uh, Euronymous. Euronymous kind of sees that and is kind of like I don't want to say threatened by that, but it's like I want to do that too. I want to also be like a polarizing figure like that. And those two guys kind of start to butt heads at this point. He kind of starts egging him on to hurt himself more on stage. To be like, well, you mm-hmm. think you're badass? Like, I'm badass too. Like, I do crazy shit too. And like, that is like the worst type of like toxic toxic shit you could put around someone who clearly is dealing with mental health struggles. But, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to say like, I don't put that much blame on Euronymous for what he was doing. But Euronymous goes from being like just the guy in the band to being like the guy in the band who like refuses to put up with dad being like the star of the band. Cause that, that's the spot that he wanted. Yeah. And like, yeah, even yeah. that too, like dead, what dead would even talk about like fascinations with suicide and, uh, Euronymous would encourage him to do it. Like, Hey, why don't you just do it? And there's a movie called the Lords of chaos that kind of illustrates it pretty good, like pretty damn good. Even necro butcher was like, yeah, that, that was spot on. Like dead would literally like be, you know, fascinated with, you know, killing himself and as opposed to be everybody telling him like, no, nah, man, like we got to go on tour. We got to go do this. We're going to go to this new store called Ikea and shit. Like, don't do that. Um, he would be like, Euronymous would be like, no, dude, like just fucking do it. Like, yeah, that would be the greatest thing ever for this band if you committed suicide and, and not like, in a like get him out so we can get a new lead singer and kind of thing. But like, kind of like, yeah, that the, the mystique of mayhem would grow because of that. And it was like this sick, sick delusion. And like dead was literally, literally suffering and it all starts like i believe like when he was like 10 years old he suffered like a uh, ice skating incident where like he had a ruptured spleen and by the time they took him to the hospital uh, he was already pronounced dead so he had an out-of-body experience kind of like john snow like where he had already like gone to see the tunnel and whatnot and like be through the grace of the, the the socialized healthcare system of Norway, they were able to bring him back to life. And since that point, he was always a little off, like a little like, and that's why he believed like he was a walking zombie because of that incident. And I think too, with that, there might've been like some brain damage. Like you don't just die and come back to life. And like, you're fucking Albert Einstein and shit. Like there's gotta be a lot of fucking, therapy and a lot of missing neurons there that fucking you know make things not yeah, yeah. he's probably without oxygen right. in the brain for like it, yeah exactly yeah. so i mean that moment you know from the time he was 10 uh all the way up to this point in life you got and again you got to remember these are these guys these are guys that are like 17 18 19 years old at this time so he's only like seven years eight years removed from that incident yeah and I just that to me was the big catalyst of what makes this story so interesting and sad, really sad, because you have 
dead who is like struggling like to really not kill himself like the guy the guy is going on stage he is very passionate about making mayhem the biggest band out there and later on there's there's different different voices saying oh no he hated all the posers he didn't want to be a big band but later on this that book comes out the letters from dead where he talks about like mm-hmm. i do care about this stuff i do want like to be charting i do want to have like a big band a big following and i want to have a legion of fans and all this stuff like that is something he did care about but maybe before we start talking about it in past tense or before i start talking about it in past tense to talk about what would ultimately happen when this band all, all get together they start to like live in this little like thing to start creating more music where debt becomes more and more reclusive and hiding in his in his room and basically not coming out for like days at a time and mm-hmm. really seems like he's in the ultimate rut where he's barely even eating super in a depressive rut. and Euronymous is just like dude you you're a fucking bitch like you should just kill yourself like you're so worthless dude just kill yourself already and like it basically that's basically what when it's happened. cold and when it starts the freezing moon can obsess you alright sorry about that guys we got interrupted by a satanic entity uh, there was some black metal artist out there that wasn't happy with some of the information that we were putting out there apparently we fucked up some information but sorry sorry Go start your own podcast. But anyways, as you yeah, were, yeah. they move. So in 1990, they move into this cabin in the middle of nowhere. And what happens, Art? Yeah, so they, they basically move into this cabin in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the woods, which sounds badass, but the Norwegian woods uh, it's, sounds very haunted. But they basically move in there to record music and come up with the cool writing ideas. And Dead becomes more and more isolated, spends more and more time in his room by himself. Uh, starts going days without eat- eating. All clear signs of someone dealing with depression. Like, this is now, again, by today's standards, we would recognize the symptoms, or hopefully we would recognize the symptoms of, hey, our buddy is going through this. Um, sometimes the, the symptoms are not that obvious. Like, you know, Chester Bennington and different people like that where, like, you know, they wear a smile in public, but then... They struggle with their demons, but Dead was clearly struggling with his demons and letting the world know. And being surrounded by kind of like immature people like Euronymous, basically egging him on, saying like, "Hey, you talk about suicide all the time. You talk about death all the time. Like, why don't you go ahead and do it, dude? Like, mm-hmm. this is it." And one story too, this real quick before you get like, into it is like i guess euronymous like he was kind of a hypocrite like he would preach that like you know you only listen to metal you only wear black you only do this that or whatever right uh but like one day like he pissed off just to piss off dead he like was playing like all this electronic music and like he was wearing like some like you know grandpa sweater just to piss him off and like dead like went missing and like slept in the woods for like a couple of days and shit and like Euronymous followed him outside, like it just started shooting like shells into the to the sky, like with a shotgun. And I was like, dude, this guy's being a fucking asshole to him. Like, no wonder, you know, like he was getting pushed even further into his depression. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I feel really bad for Dead because, you know, he's basically getting bullied, like, all the time. Like, this is a dude who's struggling, and you have fucking Euronymous just bullying him, like, pushing his buttons on purpose. Like, there was no rhyme or reason to why he was doing that. It was basically just... I hate not being the star of the show. I hate not being the biggest like creep guy in the band. Like, like, you know, that's basically it. it. Like, in my opinion, I mean, I'm looking at it from an outsider's perspective, and maybe there's someone who did years and years of research and will fucking correct us here. But that's what <laughs> it seems like to me. Like, it just, it just seems like fucking Ron is being kind of a bitch and like treating Dad like like shit in order to like provoke him and. And provoke him, he does, uh, because one day while coming into the cabin, he he basically shows up to find dead uh, after cutting himself. Like I guess he had already been self mutilating. Um, also, he blows his brains out basically mm-hmm. and leaves a note. Which <laughs> there is no no way of spinning this and I don't want to make suicide sound romantic or anything like that. You know, insert the usual, if you're struggling with mental health things, reach out to someone, reach out to a mental health professional. The world is better with you in it. With that being said, the note he leaves behind just says, sorry about the mess or sorry about the blood. Excuse the blood. (laughs) Excuse the blood, which is like, fuck dude. Like that should be an album title. Like not to make like light of of someone's suicide, but like, dear God, could you be any more metal in your like mm-hmm. in every aspect of your life? Like, excuse the blood, dear God, dude. Like, yeah. you know, if there's one thing I I I came to love about this band was Dead as like a human being, being like this like fucking like badass and everything he did. Um, you know, again, insert the usual mental health things here. Do not commit suicide. The world is better with you in it. Mm-hmm. But that was fucking bad. Yeah. yeah, but it doesn't end there. <laughs> that's that's a pretty brutal way to go out. Um, yeah. It, it, like Art said, he was found by Euronymous. Uh, in the movie, in the book, uh, Lords of Chaos, like they they talk about it in ex- and show it in extreme detail. I guess he tries to slit his wrist to, to commit suicide. That doesn't work. He tries to slit his throat. That doesn't work. So he finally gets the shotgun and shoots his fucking head off and whatnot. Euronymous uh, can't get into the house, so he has to break through a window, uh, goes into the bedroom and finds uh, dead, dead. Uh, and instead of calling the authorities, uh, Euronymous is bright idea is to buy a disposable camera so he leaves the scene purchases a disposable camera starts taking pictures of his lead singer uh suicide scene poses him poses his suicide scene poses him in a variety of different poses and collects some of his skull fragments which will come into episode two later uh, pretty much saves him as souvenirs. Then calls it doesn't call the authorities just yet. Calls his fellow bandmates. I believe the first person he called was Necro Butcher, who is like in complete shock and awe. Here's my fucking lead singer, as well as one of my best friends. 
he just committed suicide in our house. And you're telling me that you just took pictures of him and posed him. And this is the greatest thing for our band ever. And he says something to the effect. He goes, burn all those pictures and don't ever fucking call me again. Quits the band that day. Him as well as uh, the the drummer Hellhammer, they quit the band immediately. They're just like, dude, this is totally fucked. Like we we don't want anything to do with this. This this got too real for us. And uh, Euronymous starts going on a tirade about like, uh, this is the best thing to ever happen to this band. Uh, you know, this just made us even more metal kind of thing. And he starts spewing rhetoric out into the black metal community that, you know, he did this because he was so upset that the genre of the black metal was getting too commercialized. Like he did this because of you. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of like Courtney love kind of thing. Like when she was reading court, uh, Kurt Cobain's suicide note or whatever, where like, she was kind of missing the point. Like Euronymous was kind of turning this into like, this is good for me, but you guys did this to him and you guys weren't living a hundred percent true metal life. Now you got to be like dead and be, true black metal like you need to you need to up the ante basically and this is like a humongous turning point in the story already some sad ass shit but this like like this is just the big this is the genesis of all the literal mayhem that we'll we'll talk about on episode two yeah i i do want to think or you know spend a little bit of time on uh uh on necro butcher because I think he's like he's literally like us in the story. Like yeah. he is the common man, like in the story of getting a phone call and hearing somebody go, "Hey, man, that just is the coolest thing ever." And I'd be like, "Well, what happened? What do you do?" Like he, he killed himself, and being like, "What the fuck?" Like like the shock and 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 like disgust from from Necro Butcher is just like it's so relatable because it's like, it's literally how you should feel. Like he's probably the only like human dude. Even now, if you watch his interviews, he, yeah, he's the most like relatable dude in the band where it's just like, Holy God, dude. Like, and probably why he's the only guy who's not all fucked up in the head now, but like, like, you know, his reaction and the way like, yeah, that is what you do. You quit the band right away. You tell him, don't fucking talk to me until like you fucking destroy these pictures don't you're not in my life anymore like mm-hmm. like that is the correct response to that situation exactly and 100%. like yeah and like and everything i saw you know i watched a lot of interviews and he's really the guy who does most of the interviews he's a really intelligent guy and like you can tell he's lived a really rough life um and so like i really i recommend go listen to his interviews maybe it's like a norwegian thing to have a lot of uh, 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 metaphors in the way he talks, but he has a lot of really genius metaphors, and he speaks very poetic, I guess. Yeah, which I really, really like about him. Yeah, well, he's uh, an artist as well, so I mean, there's yeah, he's, he's an artist. Yeah, <laughs> but like Philly from porn is <laughs> isn't out there saying like some deep shit like he is, but and they're both bass players, so <laughs> that's true. Yeah, um, but this doesn't really end there either. Um, the the pictures most of them you know get destroyed later on by Euronymous's dad and we'll talk about that on episode two and whatnot uh but there's a bootleg live album 
uh, called The Dawn of the Black Hearts. And the cover of this album is one of the pictures that Euronymous took of Dead uh, with his head blown off. So from what I can gather, you can see the shotgun. There's a knife placed over it. And right next to the knife is like, like almost like a perfect piece of the half of his brain that got blown off as well as his full body just there for your consumption. So Google it, go to the Reddits, go to wherever you can go. It's, it's widely available, uh, that image or whatever. And it's, it's bloody fucking disgusting. Uh, and, it and gets, they still print that album. Yes, they do. Yeah. I mean, that, and it, that album is still in print. You could technically buy that album cover if you want to. And what's fucked up is, is if you search, the most disturbing album covers of all time. I think it's only number four <laughs> on uh, all the black oh, album wow. metal covers. Like there's three, actually three more album covers that are more disturbing or whatever, but that's another episode for another time. Uh, but just seeing that, like that was just like, dude, that is like one of the most fucked up thing ever. And it was actually from the guy that made that bootleg was actually a friend of Euronymous who he sent a copy of those pictures to and whatnot. So, oh my God, it it's, it's it's fucked up and like i said euronymous he stole uh bits of his skull fragments that he found at the crime scene uh and after his little speech to the black metal community that he did this because you guys you know commercialized the genre he started making necklaces out of the skull fragments and would bequeath uh those necklaces to people he deemed worthy and there was a there was a few rumors out there that Euronymous actually murdered dead and that he actually made stew from some of his brain matter before calling the authorities, which he never really did, said was false. But I mean, later on, forensic evidence showed that that did not happen. But he let those rumors percolate just to increase the notoriety of the band mayhem. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty fucked up guy, but. Yeah. You know, that's life, I guess. Yeah. So with that uh, art, do you I, want to talk about anything else before <laughs> we go? No, to I think this two? is a good I think this is a good stopping point because I think there's a lot of story to tell. And part two is, you know, equally as violent and disturbing as part one. So um, you know the usual shell of the Jack Michelle the it was Warren. Um uh and that's it. Next week you know, let's do it face to face because uh, every once in a while there's a little bit. Of, I think this episode came out great, but every once in a while there's a little bit of buffering and it's like pisses me off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I sure as listeners as well. But uh, yeah, if you thought this story was disturbing, wait next week or if you're listening to this in a time, you know, in the future, uh, just, you know, go one episode up, you know, here part two. But uh yeah, it gets it gets even more crazier. The band's name Mayhem couldn't even couldn't be more spot on. But uh, with that said, guys, if you have anything else, if you're a black metal artist or a black metal fan, and we fucked something up, uh, guys, hit us up on all the social medias at Art and Jacob Do America, except for Twitter, we are at Art and Jacob Do A One. If you want to support this podcast, guys, I highly recommend heading on over to the Patreon. Uh, where every single week we put together a bonus episode for your listening pleasure. So if you like us here, you'll love us over there. Uh, Nine times out of ten, those episodes over on the Patreon are better than actual episodes that you're getting for free. So head on over there, donate $1, donate $5, whatever you want to donate. Uh, But it goes a long way in helping this podcast grow 
if you will. We don't have to commit suicide or eat brain fragments or anything of that nature <laughs> to grow this podcast. Just get on over to Patreon. It's very simple. Give us one dollar, and that's all it takes. Uh, if you want to support us in any other way, guys, I highly recommend heading on over to the official website at rjacobdoamerica.com. Uh, check out, follow the merch links, uh, buy one of our four designs. That's not so much to help us monetarily as it is uh, a way more or less to help advertise this podcast. So if you're out in Scandinavia, out in Norway, you're at a black metal concert and whatnot, uh, maybe one of those black metal fans will listen to this episode, find us amusing, criticize us, fall in love with us, who knows, you know, hate us, send us a crucified mouse in the mail, if you will. Uh, but it goes a long way in helping promote this podcast because you are a walking billboard, if you will. Uh, if you want to check out other great podcasts, guys, I highly recommend heading on over to podbelly.com where we are official members of the Podbelly Network. So uh, check out our boys over at the world-famous Sofa King podcast as well as Hillbilly Horror Stories and Robots Ride. But with that said, guys, I'm out. I ain't got nothing else, man, up until next week. But with that said, guys, Art, goodbye and good night. Good night.